Hello, you're listening to Found in Translation. I'm Chris Atala, Galleon Unlimited, and today we're going to talk to the creators of the fan translation patch for Napletail. Uh, it's an awesome game, really cool, really creative on Dreamcast, and uh, I believe it was finished um, about a year ago, and I'm really looking forward to hearing about the program and the, the writing process on this uh, sweet Dreamcast game. So, uh, Esper Knight, if you'd like to go first. All right, so I'm Esper Knight. I'm the ROM hacker for Napletail. So basically what I do is I get the uh, translation that Cargodin does and get it inserted, get all the you know graphics inserted, all that good stuff, and work out any bugs related to it. So yeah, that's pretty much my uh, my job. Hello, I'm Cargodin. I was the head translator and localizer for the Napletail fan patch. I have been trying to fan translate for about six years, and I've worked with Esper Knight for six years. So it's really nice to meet y'all. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for um, being able to hang out and uh, kind of tell your story. So um, with that said, we... <laughs> talked about this a little bit so we, i think i know what what ek is going to say but you know i always like to hear about you know the you know the projects the games that you worked on you know just what makes them special enough for you to you know undertake this um you know huge huge project of taking a game that was never released in english and uh you know making it so that us westerners can play it so what makes napple tail special to you and i think we'll get a better story from you uh Cardigan. so how about you go first um Okay, thank you. I um, I happened to just kind of find the game by mistake sometime back in college. I like just um, picking out random, like, pretty-looking games and, like, oh, this is adorable, and then, oh, I have no idea what happened in it because it never came out here. So as because I translate as, like, a hobbyist, most of it was just so I could find out what the heck was going on in it, but then I put up, like, a Help Wanted ad, and uh, Esper responded. So that's kind of how we met, and that's kind of how we got talking about Napletail. Funny enough, there was an ad posted, but not by Cargodin at first. It was actually posted by a translator named Swarm. And so back in the olden days, um, you know, I always like to help people out and everything. So I saw his. I was like, oh, that sounds pretty neat. And I mean, I do look at the games, and I thought it looked pretty neat as well. So I figured I'd try and help him out. You know, as I've, I've helped out many people on various projects. Uh, and that's how that started. And funny enough, it um, he actually ended up disappearing, you know, real life circumstances and all that. So kind of, you know, what happens. And then I saw Cargodin's ad and then responded to her because I was like, oh, I already have tools for this. So, hey. And so then we started working out together. And actually, you know, from there, we kind of worked on other things as well. So. Okay. Yeah. So um, it, and I'm assuming this is romhacking.net. Or a different platform that you kind of put your help wanted that out. Romhacking.net. Oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. She probably. I was gonna say that's probably Cargodin's question. <laughs> oh, no, oh no! Like if either. Yeah, you guys can both. You know, this pretty free flowing. So uh, yeah, you know, whoever knows the answer can buzz in. You know. <laughs> um, yeah. So you know, with Romhacking.net, I, I'm really new to the scene. I, I just started. Um, you know, my project with Fantasy Star Four retranslation two years ago, and I didn't know anything about programming. All I knew about romhacking.net is I, I downloaded some, you know, really cool patches here and there. So I don't know anything about, you know, how long, uh, you know, how the how the scene has evolved, you know, over the years and, you know, the milestones and things like that. So how did you guys get involved, you know, each of you into ROM hacking, you know, initially? Oh, shoot. I guess I'll go on that one because I, <laughs> I started a long time ago, so... And then always keep what I say in a grain of salt because I get my dates mixed up and everything. So I apologize to anybody who can correct me. I don't know if anybody can at this point, but you know, you <laughs> never know. <laughs> so back in the day, um, I ran across uh, stuff. Basically, I ran across patches that people used to do. They used to create like um, patches for NES games and such. And this is all back. And back then, I think at that time, the latest would release might have been the PlayStation for us. But we actually had emulators that could do SNES and NES and a few other systems. So I found them on Zofar.net, which is actually still around, surprisingly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm surprised. And then uh, so the first, first emulator I used was Nesticle. Which, yeah, yes, me too. <laughs> and yes, people, if, if you were listening, yes, Nesticle is exactly what it sounds like. So, um, you know, I used that. I thought that was really cool. I was like, oh, man, I could play all these NES games, NES games, all that. So the only bad thing is my computer was too slow to, to emulate the NES, uh, SNES at that time. So it was like playing a slideshow. So I only stuck with basically Game Gear 
and then uh, SNES and I mean that NES and Game Boy and such like that. So I thought it was really cool. And then I saw like so the patches. I was like, oh, that's really neat. I you know I would like to translate some of this stuff or you know try to do that because I saw you know because we did have some of that stuff back then. We had the Final Fantasy two, well four in Japan, two here. You know, re, uh, retranslation with uh, DJAP and JTE. Um, that was something going on at that point, and you know, quite a few. I think it was Earthbound prototype at that time. It was a lot of neat things. The FF five translation is that the first fan translation that was like kind I, of like around. I think so. Actually, I think that's what yeah spurred everybody on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and then what got me interested was I was huge into anime. Well, still am actually, but you know, so when I was growing up, <laughs> so mage, but um, you know, Dragon Ball and Sailor Moon were coming on, and this was during my middle school years. So, and I learned that like Sailor Moon had like a games and stuff. I was like, oh, I would love to translate those like Sailor Moon RPG. Never did. That was actually done by a different group, which you know I'm glad for, because um, at that time I had no clue on how to crack any of the compression or anything like that. So. Anyway, so <laughs> that's how I pretty much got into it. I saw a lot of neat games, and then uh, like my first two projects were L- Lunar Walking School. Also, technically, we called it Magic School back then, but then people realized it should be translated as Walking School, you know, for Game Gear. And then uh, Megami Tensei for the NES was actually my first one, and that's actually what started because I was a big Persona fan and wanted to get more into that as well. Oh man, geez, we could, we could. I would love to do a whole podcast with you about the the lunar walking school project because I'm a huge, huge lunar fan of the like the old ones like uh, Saturn Magic School and like earlier, pretty much, especially the Sega CD ones. So I would love mm-hmm. to to yeah, we could just do a whole podcast episode yeah. on that maybe <laughs> down the line. I'd love to hear <laughs> more about it. Yeah, and that's actually what started me on lunar walking school because I really love the um you know the originals. Although I not gonna lie, I played on the PlayStation because I didn't have a Sega CD at the time. Oh, well, nobody did, so. But yeah, no, poor Sega CD. Aww. But you know, that's actually what started me and got me on. I was like, oh, I was like, oh, cool. This is a lunar game. I was like, this is awesome. And yep, that's what got me started. You know, just you know, just wanted to do stuff like that, and I thought it was really neat. You know, because for me, it's you know, as long as somebody plays it, I don't care if it's just one person. If it makes them happy, that makes me happy. So, and I just like tearing games apart. <laughs> and so <laughs> yeah, and so just on, along those lines, just to, to clarify, you guys like backgrounds. Did, did you have like a background in programming? Did, were you learning that in school, or is it something that just completely on your own you just kind of took up? So actually, I can make a joke about that. So kind of. So back in my day, <laughs> I, I did actually learn programming in school. In middle school, we took pre-SAT classes, and after we done with pre-SAT, they taught us a programming language called Logo on the old Apple IIe's, maybe. And I love nice. doing it because I actually excelled at it because I loved it, you know, because I could create my own stuff. And so I actually created like a Pac-Man game in it and stuff. But so back then, though, I was trying to teach myself programming. And we're talking middle school for me. So like fifth grade, I'd be about 11. So but so back in my day when the Internet was still young, <laughs> we only had AOL and stuff like that to get on and Prodigy. I had to go buy these things called books <laughs> for like $50 <laughs> a pop. So my parents helped. But, but yeah, I mean, I basically I'm self-taught. So I've been doing this since probably yeah about it started at 11 but probably seriously since 14 and wow. yeah quite a while cool uh, awesome yeah well uh car what's 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 tell us your story so from the rom hacking front um that happened around college as well um that was probably like 2011 2012 but I was kind of just looking at cute games and just kind of downloading other cute games and you know I was like all right I'll play this in English And um, so I had started by playing like the Saga patches for DS. I uh, enjoyed like music hacks and stuff like that for Marvel vs. Capcom. I like to peek around like GBA temp as well because I play more portable games than I do console games. I'm just a busy person. But um, yeah, so I ended up just enjoying a lot of those and kind of hearing about games that didn't have English translations and stuff. And I had heard of Napletail before that and I had Napletail already before that because of the music um i have thoughts on it but like folly fall was the song that got me like really invested i'm like i gotta know what's going on here and over the years it's definitely like surprised me and just astounded me like way beyond you know what an hour and a half is going to provide but at the time like i was a hobbyist as a translator back in like middle school shaman king was getting canceled so they weren't going to bring the last volume out and all this drama and i'm like well i gotta find out what happens i guess so it, it was a terrible idea i and it 
do not try and translate like a shonen comic and stuff like that when you're like 11. So it, it's not going to work out. You will learn a lot of terrible things about yourself and about shonen manga. And um, so, but then I was like, all right, I guess I'm 20 something now. I'll try translating something. And I liked playing Metal Gun Saga for the Game Boy Advance. And so that was my first attempt at ripping text from something. All the text was literally right there out in the open on the ROM. So I was like, cool, ROM hacking is easy. And so I yanked it <laughs> and just typed it all in manual. I was like, I'm going to reinsert it manually. ROM hacking so easy. I don't know why there's tutorials. Ha, I'm not going to read that. And then it was just terrible. It was terrible. It was bad. So then I'm like, all right, never mind. I'm just going to go play an Apple Tail. And that's kind of where it went. So, <laughs> so were you were you studying uh, Japanese in middle school, like uh, in, in school, like formally or you just on the side? Um, you know, and what resources did you use, uh, I guess, to, to really get into it? Um, well, back in uh, like middle school, we didn't really have like Japanese classes. Um, high school, there were like Japanese classes and stuff. I was an art major, though. And so, like, there was only, like, so much I was even, like, allowed to apply for to participate in, like, the Japanese program. But I did take a couple years of it. But that's all of the, like, schooling and stuff that I've had. And I literally never practiced with anybody. So I'm very, very self-taught in this. And it does show in my work. But I'm where I make up, I think I try and make up for it in diligence and just kind of just putting the hours in. But that's all I can really do because I don't practice with anybody. I practice writing fan mail now. So it's, you know, I try and apply it into different places and kind of learn and stuff from there. But especially back then, it was like, watashi wa, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, for me, I, I'm, I'm lucky that someone that I know from the uh, a friend from the competitive fighting game scene um, is it turns out he's like a polyglot. Now he has this like huge business, uh, this tutoring business and everything online. And um, he's like been featured in New York Times. He's like, super awesome. So I took a year of Japanese with him. And even just this one year has helped me a lot. The, uh, you know, the, the modest amount of like ROM hacking, you know, that I've done so far. And um, at least gives me sometimes like more of a, a sense of like, the, the the cadence of like you know the speech and you know picking out like a word here or there um you know in like the spoken japanese and everything that that's really cool you know your guy stories because that's what um want people to really just like think about it's like hey you know if you're interested in this thing or if you've always wanted to do it or you've ever, you've always wondered how come no one ever you know took this project on um it is something that you know you can do just for fun in your spare time and you know it can turn out to be like this amazing thing you get to meet all these amazing people and you know, work on something you're really proud of, which I I know that you guys, you know, are with your work. You know, kind of along those lines, do you guys, you pretty much like always pair up as like EK is, you know, the, the hacker and Karg is the translator, or do you have like other people, you know, that you bring in every now and then to, you know, the stuff that you've worked on? Well, I have like so a much smaller network than Esperonite has, you know, like back in his day, you know, like I was not <laughs> even doing this. So... But over the years and stuff like that, um, I'm a lot braver now in the most recent years because I was definitely just like a lurker and stuff like that. If I left like a comment on something, I was just being like haughty and unrelated to whatever. So <laughs> I've definitely kind of just grown out of my comfort zone a little bit. Yeah, no, I've made a couple of translator friends on the way and like I have some graphic design experience and there was a point when I was also doing graphics. Now I'm not. But, you know, it was it's very scratched back when you're in something like this because there's so many tasks and, you know, people can be like multi-talented and stuff like that. And like if you can't do this, maybe you can edit. And if you can't, you know, ROM hack or something, maybe you can like edit the graphics or you might have the plugins to help out with something in particular. So you do meet people with different skill sets and, you know. It's really fun to be like, I have translator friends now and I have from hacking friends now. And like, <laughs> wow, we all actually played this one game, which, you know, sometimes you're waiting like 14 years for someone to be able to talk about that game with casually. And now you can. And so 
like that was kind of the funnest part about even just the play testing was like hearing people talk about like the characters and stuff like wow strain up's an idiot and i'm like oh, i know so it's just it's been really exciting so someone else that i really like quite a bit is a translator named aria and she helped out with a draft of Tale as well we had some wonderful wonderful play testers for Tale. i love every single one of them and uh, but she's a translator also, so she was able to like tisk tisk me and stuff like that. The way that Aya Nihen could also, she redlined the entire Napletail script over the course of a year, so that's like a holy bible for me now because like she's like, here is where, you know, this Japanese is probably kind of tricky. I'm not sure who's talking in this one, but I would word this differently and I would word this differently. She was incredible for that. So I had really good literal approach, and then I had really good approaches from people taking the English text in with completely raw eyes as well, you know? So it's really cool being able to talk with people who are all looking at this in different directions, you know? And it'll be awesome working with any of them in the future, you know? Yeah, that's got to be really, really helpful. Like when I first, my, my Fantasy Star 4 project, when I put out like version 1.0, I thought I had gone over everything like so carefully and I was like, oh my God, this is like, you know, it's it's so, it's so great. I hope people think it's like just, you know, like really great and they can see how much time I put into it. And, um, you know, I, I got a lot of feedback on it. You know, that's a nice way to say it. And, um, you know, it, it can hurt your ego a little bit because you think you did like this amazing job. But, um, you know, I, I always pretty much keep the mentality, which I kind of got from fighting games actually, which is like, you know, it's it's not about your ego. It's about getting better and other people help you get better. And um, I ended up having someone completely out of the blue just volunteer to be uh, my editor, like on the project. And um, I'm just like very, very happy where it is now. And, um, you know, it, it was it's like 10 percent of what it, it could have been if I didn't have you know people volunteering, you know, uh, their their time and their, their play testing and uh, their suggestions to me. Yeah, so I, I could kind of understand that a little bit, even though, you know, this is a much bigger bigger project that you guys worked on. EK, does this kind of match, you know, your experience with, you know, having like a regular team and, and you have a couple other people that you bring in now and then? Or, you know, how is this dynamic for you in terms of, you know, ROM hacking projects? Uh, actually, yeah, it's pretty much yeah how it goes for me, too. So um, I used to work in a team and then we kind of disbanded because, you know, real life got in the way. So nowadays I just help out certain individuals like cargo din i've been working with you know for a long while as you can see or you know as she said you know we've been working together for a long while so i pretty much toned it down on who i'm working with so cargo din is one i work with um uh, another translator uh tom he worked on uh people will know him from persona 2 innocent sin he worked with uh gemini on that one so i worked with him as well and that's, that's pretty much it right there. There's Cargo and Tom nowadays. I mean, I still help out, you know, here and there because I, I, you know, I always like helping out people, you know, if they need any help on the ROM hacking side. But, you know, due to time and all that, I don't have as much and I'm lazy. Not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, you know, that's the other problem, too, is, you know, I, I love working with Cargo because, you know, she'll bug me, which I, I love because she'll let me know, hey, don't forget to work on this. I'll be like, yeah, sure. One month later, don't forget to work on this. <laughs> so I'm kind of horrible about that. Because, you know, even with Napletail, it took us a while to get through. Although, to be fair, you know, you know, like I said, Napletail is pretty large. And I imagine, actually, I, you know, as you probably know, Fantasy Star 4 is large, too. So, I mean, either both of them, you know, always have, you know, different hurdles you got to get over. But that's always a big thing, too, is just finding time to work on it. And then if you run into a tough problem, it's like, oh, I got to fix this, you know, figure out how to do this part. And sometimes it just gets to be a pain. And then, you know. So that, that kind of leads into one of my other questions, which I... Um, I, I do kind of want to just get into like the, the nitty gritty of, you know, Napple tail and everything. I, I think we have a lot to talk about there. That is like pretty awesome. But I did want to ask whether it was, you know, Napple tail or whether, you know, it was another project like what just I would love it to hear an example of like the hardest hurdle that, um, you know, you had to overcome. So, Karg, I mean, do you have something on your mind that you could uh, that you could think of and how you solved it, basically, if you did? Honestly, the bigger hurdle for me from like the translation localization front um because i have no technical know-how at all so i'm really useless for what esper does i can just like point at files and be like oh reads this you know and that's about it but um from the translation and localization um depending on the game it can be really really easy if i don't have to research a lot 
So for something like Napple Tail, I had to do so much like research. And then like there are things that like I would read or overhear over the years. And I'm like, that was what it was. Uh, and then I'd have to go in and just rechange a lot because Napple Tail is extremely dependent on its source materials, which are English poet poems. And then other games like Linda Cubed Again isn't really dependent on having a lot of back lore. There's a lot of Ultraman references, which I've done an Ultraman patch before and I'm familiar with Ultraman and I like it a lot. So that's actually pretty easy for me. I can see that kind of with my eyes closed. But for something like Nappletail, I'm secretly not a Lewis Carroll, Alice in Wonderland kind of fan. A lot of people aren't. So I'm sitting here like, great. Now I have to read Melancholetta, I guess. So just to understand this bird reference. So that was kind of it helped me appreciate that material, but I wasn't going into it, you know, and this isn't like a progress or oops, this isn't really a project in progress or anything, but I've been playing a game called Kowlongsgate and I haven't shut up to Esper about this. I keep sending him like scary boss pictures and stuff, <laughs> but I don't really know a lot about Chinese culture and terminology and like Chinese American vernacular. So I've been writing a text document and I have like a vocabulary dictionary of just how to translate different names. Because at that point, it's from Japanese to Chinese into English. And so Google Translate on the Japanese to Chinese, the English front has been very kind to me for terminology, but it's been incredibly difficult finding like feng shui and researching feng shui in English because it's all white lady blogs. And I (laughs) didn't realize... You know, feng shui wasn't sourced to anybody in English, apparently. So I don't know how to write this name in English as it's commonly accepted because no one knows it, you know. So it's the research that makes it difficult. Wow, that's like some Metal Gear Solid level. (laughs) Like what sounds like what you went through on this project. Like Jeremy Blaustein is one of my like original heroes in terms of, you know, localization and translation. And just in the last couple of years is his story uh been told a little bit more about he was basically on an island and i think for like nine months or something um he had to translate this you know ridiculously dense game and he just read like all these military books because he was like i want to i want this to sound authentic and um he put a lot into the script that wasn't in the original japanese which is a uh, kind of i have definitely have feelings about because i being a writer and editor i i want it i think things should sound as as well as i can you know for uh the native speaker but um that'll lead more into i think translation versus localization which we can talk about in a little bit um but yeah so ek can you think of like one uh you know like really really tough hurdle you know that you had to overcome with this project or you know another one well, sadly, one we haven't overcome is the items. We were trying to figure out, so when you get some of the items, the names get cut off, which stinks. You know, we were trying to figure out different ways to get around it, and th- that kind of leads, well, that's kind of, you know, the tool set that we have. Like uh, Carly mentioned, we have an old DC and stuff like that, but the debugging tools aren't very good in it. So we never could figure that out. Maybe one day I'll try and get back to it, but yeah. It's, and that's always the problem. You are limited to some of the tool sets, and, I'm, you know, I'm more of a jack-of-all-trades. So for me, it's like I know how to do some things, but I'm not really like some people are just fantastically clever at some of this stuff. I'm like, how in the world did you figure that out? But, you know, so but for me, I was like, I kept poking at it, poking at it. I'm like, you know what? I'll get back to that because <laughs> it's not a huge, you know, and that's always a thing, too. I want everything to be perfect. But at the same time, I like, well, I want to hold up a game for a year, try to figure out like this one little thing. that's not really that bad, you know, so. And then some of the other stuff I've ran into, which actually is even uh, more crazy, was I was actually looking into translating a visual novel of uh, Tom. Uh, I'm trying to think, it's a Night of the Sickle Weasel. I forgot what the actual Japanese name is, but it's a game that Chunsoft, one of the original sound novels, as they call them. And if anybody's played like the Higarashi visual novels, that's pretty much what those are. They call them sound novels back then. But that one, Chunsoft was so insane with the way they did their compression scheme. I lost track around like 50 different if statements, meaning, you know, if it's this, do this, if it's that, do that. Like all of this, it was just, the compression was nuts. Never, I just gave up on that one because <laughs> I could just dump it for RAM. But it's just, that's some of the stuff that you'll run into. You'll just run into this crazy stuff because they don't want people to mess with their games. I mean, truthfully, some uh-huh. some don't care, you can tell. And some are like, nah, we're going to make this as obtuse and crazy as possible for you to figure out how to do anything in it. 
because they don't, you know, because they do know, uh, you know, people in Japan do know that we do this. Um, some people are fine with it. Some of them are like, uh, no, we're not going to allow that, you know. Oh, wow. So, I mean, and that's, and, you know, well, that kind of leads us to, you know, ROM hacking is a gray area. Well, translation in general is a gray area, you know, because technically it's all for copyright for us. It's like, well, it's copyrighted by Cargoden for her stuff at the same time. It's like, well, you're translating somebody else's work. So I always forget how that works out. So technically what we do is, you know, gray area, as we put it, because it's technically our stuff at the same time, you know, it is theirs. So like, you know, obviously you can't have host the ROMs or anything. So yeah. And I, so it's kind of like a gray area. It seems like, you know, as long as we're like not making a profit off of, you know, these projects, as long as it's not a commercial endeavor, um, the impression that I get, it, it seems like we're kind of in the clear doing this stuff or at least, no one's going to get mad about it. Like, oh, if you make a, you know, if you make a fan remake of Metroid 2, you know, you're going to get shut down by Nintendo or something. But just text wise, it, it seems <laughs> like. Say, yeah, Nintendo. Yeah. <laughs> Nintendo don't play nothing. But it's true that, I mean, you know, but that, that maybe if people listen, they'll know why that I'm, you know, that everything takes forever. Well, that's actually a good question you could always ask too is like, you know, because, you know, everybody thinks the project should come out like one year. Well, why don't they come out in one year? Or no, let me correct that. Most people want it in a day, but you know, that's always a good one to ask. Because I have actually had people for other projects ask me, like, hey, why isn't this game getting any progress? I'm like, uh, I don't work on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but I've actually had to explain to them, I'm like, look, dude, we all have real life. Because they actually offered to send money to the person to make them work faster. Yeah. Like, that's not how that works. Oh. I mean, I like money, but. I'm sure as hell not going to work faster. I get offered money all of the time. I get like DMs for Linda and it's always specifically Linda cubed again. And it's just like, people are like, hey, what's your Patreon? I'm like, I don't have one. Or like, hey, what's your PayPal? I don't have one. You know, I have student loans, but I don't have a Patreon. So, but I mean, I agree. Like, I understand that people have like a want and a desire and stuff, but part of it is, like I already have a job. I'm not doing this for the pay. And I also don't really want to like threaten the integrity of the work in case people want to have that conversation about the gray area and stuff like that by saying, yeah, I took money for it. You know, I, mm-hmm. I know everyone's got their Patreons and everyone's got their modus operandi. And I mean, mm-hmm. if you want to ask for money for your work, that's your 10,000 hours that you're putting into, exactly. yep, you I know, agree your 800th Mahjong game. I'm not really going to diss you on that at all, you know, but if someone takes like your 800th Mahjong game translation and makes like their own cart or something like that, and then sells that for 70 bucks, that's also a slap in the face, you know? Yeah. I really, I, the more and more I started to learn about, um, yeah, like making, you know, uh, repros and everything. Um, you know, I, I guess it's just inevitable, you know, with the world that we live in and everything, but I, I, kind of feel very strongly uh over the years that i think it's really valuable to keep some things as your hobby because i i kind of feel like money basically to some degree corrupts everything that you do like i have um i i I use like video gaming for um like corporate team building and like for entertainment and it's like i want to get paid for it so if i put a saturn out there with six player guardian euros like (laughs) you know no one's going to touch it. No one's going to care what the hell this game is. But if I if I put out, you know, mm-hmm. four-player Pac-Man, which, you know, might not be my favorite game, but, you know, it's still fun. It's something people respond to. You know, like, that's what people are going to pay me for. You know what I mean? So um, yeah. I feel like, I, for me at least, and yeah, the same thing. I, I don't want to, you know, crap on other people, you know, what they're doing with their Patreons and everything. But just makes me very happy to just do this kind of stuff for fun and to not have ads on like my stupid podcast and not give a crap about like, you know, how many audience members I have or anything. It, it just makes it a lot more Wait, fun oh. and it's a lot more freeing, you know, you're not sponsored by NordVPN. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. I'm sorry. Yeah, Where's the blue apron ad? <laughs> oh yeah. God. My, my wife uses blue apron. She probably loves some free, uh, <laughs> some free blue oh, apron. I crap. am so <laughs> tempted. I'm so tempted to try one of those. Cause going to the store is like, Oh, yeah, I get to go to the store, but it's like, oh, I have to choose what to eat for a week, and that's kind of where I blue screen. But um, I was like, just mail me something. I'll cook whatever, you know, but. It's pretty cool. We She stopped doing it. I don't even know why, but uh, 
Yeah, it's it's very it's very handy. I rec I I don't need money from them. I recommend Blue Apron. I just say everyone give it a shot. I'll, I'll call it out in my podcast. I think one of those services like that. Yeah, is that the one where like, they sell you like a meal you can cook? That's like a set ingredients and all that. Yeah, yeah. with like a is recipe and stuff. Okay. Yeah, I've tried one of those. Yeah, it is neat. It gets you out of the uh, allows you to try different things too. I thought that was pretty cool. Like stuff I would never bother you know make myself. I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah. Well, speaking of things you wouldn't have made yourself. Nappletail. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, so um, that one of the things I, I really wanted to hear about because um, so with Fantasy Star Four, all the hard work is done if you want to mess with classic Fantasy Star, the Master System and Genesis games. the The disassemblies were made by this awesome dude uh, named Lorenzo Lori, nineteen ninety in Italy. He's even hosted the disassemblies on ROMHacking.net. So. Once I learned that I didn't have to, you know, mess with the Genesis compression or, you know, learn binary and I could just, you know, like literally cut and paste like original civilization on PC was just a, like a text document that you could just change all the words, you know, around to all the countries and everything. Mm. I could just literally do that. And then I was like off to the races because I'm a, I'm a writer. I'm not a programmer. So how in the world do you start with something as complicated and as advanced as like a Dreamcast game to start uh, messing around with, you know, the text and the graphics in the first place. So I guess I'll jump in on that one. So that's actually a good question. So the way that I do it, well, actually, it's kind of a tag team effort with me and Cargadin. So Cargadin will also help with this, too. So we'll do spelunking, looking for text and stuff to see if it's in uh, plain text, meaning there's no compression, there's no crazy, like, ways that they're trying to display it. So... You know, basically, so for Japanese, to help anybody out looking, but um, they use what they call SJIS for SJIS, I should say. Um, <laughs> so they use that for their encoding. So I use a program called MadEdit, which you can find on SourceForge. And then you can type in Japanese and then search on it and see if it's in, uh, plain text. And then, to be honest, I've been doing this so long, so it kind of feels like cheating, but... I can, I look at, so I'll look at the different file types that the game has or uh, try and figure out the format. And not all games use a format. Some of them just mix everything together, like world map data, text, you know, whatever they want it to in there. But a lot of them will use like pointers and stuff like that. So you can kind of get an idea of, okay, so they use this uh, pointer right here, say, go here, grab this text, display it, and stuff like that. And which can make things easier. Some games do it inline. So, but a lot of, you get so the good thing is most of the time when you look at stuff like that though programmers are very logical and we're lazy i mean to be honest if you're a good programmer you're going to be lazy because you don't want to do a whole lot because you know less bugs you know less coding less bugs <laughs> so you can look at them a lot of times and it'll be a very logical setup you'll say okay well this piece probably corresponds to world map or this piece corresponds to like um you know the scripting system display text and all that and it was the same thing with uh Napletail, actually so the way Napletail is set up the first portion is all scripting data for the most part, and then it'll have pointers to the text, and the text is actually right at the end. And, you know, and you know, I can use stuff like that. And the good thing is NullDC has some debugging tools, so you can dig around in memory and kind of see where things lay at. And that's a good, easy way to do it, too, is, you know, you can say, hey, where does, you know, in this part in RAM where, you know, it loads all the data to, you can say, okay, well, I know for this, it's this certain position, I'll put a... Uh, what they call a breakpoint on it, say, hey, does it get red here? And then you can look at the assembly code around it. So that's basically what I do. Is a lot of times, though, is I spend most of the time just staring at a file and hoping I can understand it and, uh, you know, learn all the things about life I can while looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but that's the thing is when you get when you get to that point, it makes things a lot easier because, you know, I, I mean, I hate to say this, but a lot of games all do the same thing, you know, because a lot of people don't want to recreate the wheel because it takes forever. And plus, you know, time is money. So if you're trying to make a game to get out a certain time, you're going to probably go grab, you know, the library that everybody else is using. Oh. And then, you know, I mean, that's a, you know, like uh, the PlayStation and, uh, you know, you'll probably see uh, like CryPack was, um, no, is it CryPack? CryWare. You'll see this last screen for CryWare. A lot of games use CryWare and they all, and CryWare has an actual tool set that they have. They use CryPacks to encode the data with and actually help create a tool for that that you can, you know, break everything apart inside of it. But that's a nice thing because you have all these data, you know, libraries that a lot of people use. You can just go ahead and just grab, you know, and that's a good way to do it, too. Sometimes you get lucky and it's something that something else uses. You can also steal somebody's code for it, which I do, too. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, because sometimes, like I said, they all use the same thing. That napple tail is unique. So that one wasn't too bad, though. But, you know, just from looking at it, it wasn't too bad of a setup. So, and, and now, to be fair, though, when me and Cargo didn't start on it, I thought I had everything working. I was like, oh, man, I could take Cargo Dens text, throw this in, and get it working. Yeah, it didn't work. <laughs> we ended up, when they tested it, we ended up crashing a lot and stuff and figuring out, oh, yeah, we kind of, even though technically uh, Dreamcast has a lot of RAM, it still didn't like it when we put too much stuff in there. So we actually had to figure out how to fit it in a little bit better. We didn't have to cut or anything. It just I just had to make sure that, you know, we had to be good on, um, you know, how much room we had and all that and the file and everything. But those, all of it fit pretty well. It's just, you know, it was just, you know, little things like that you'll find. And that's always, a, you know, the gotcha cases. Mm-hmm. Or I guess I'll plug Yarodora uh, <laughs> right now. So like that one, as uh, Cargo then will tell you, had we had to get around some checksums because as soon as you modify the file, it decides to uh, start looping the scenes and stuff. It didn't like that. Mm-hmm. So that's also another thing. Well, that's also a good example of, you know, people trying to prevent you from translating video games. They actually had checksums in there to say, hey, was this file modified? If it was... Yeah, don't allow it to go forward. Ah. So we had to work around that kind of thing too, which is always fun. Okay, just little things. Like that. So, so Cara, did um, how much did you kind of have to poke around like with the file system for uh, Napple Tail then? When it comes to Napple Tail, the maps are sorted pretty well. There's a lot of text documents to Napple Tail, and there are some repeating segments and questions in those different documents. But Esper's been super accommodating and helping me like redump and resort the files and stuff as best I can. So the tricky part was just finding out which documents related to which parts of the game, which um, depending on the game, it can be really, really organized or it can just be a mess. There's no rhyme or reason to like which maps they started on, which maps they ended with. Like I mentioned with Metal Gun Saga, the entire game's text was just out in the open. And like how you had mentioned, oh, all of the text is right here. I can just type it in without programming experience and go. That was something that made another Dreamcast game, Seven Mansions, really popular. But it was also really difficult to actually re-implement that text in and make the game play. And the text itself was apparently pretty tricky to translate and make sound natural just from the wordings of things. And that was actually a game that Arya had tackled. And um, that's how we kind of got working together was I had helped test play that a little bit. And, um, you know, like she was really great with that. So you really just have to get someone with like the patience to look at things 50 different ways, 50 different times. Like Esper is way more accommodating to this than I am. I'm usually like, I want something redumped like this and he'll do it. Dang it. You know, so poor guy. But <laughs> so, yeah, when it comes to like sorting things, um, I'll add a different segment in really quick. There was a game I was translating for an indie artist in Japan. Her name is Brown Sugar, and she's done some of my more earlier works uh, on the translating front. And one game was called Patty and Mr. Miles. And it's a pretty short game, probably three hours if you do both routes. But there were like 90 different text files in there. And I'm like, what the heck are these? There's 90 different maps. And some of them are repeats of things. So it was kind of just finding out which one was the authentic one to the game because one line might be tweaked. The lines might not be tweaked at all. So I had to go over them. But as soon as I found one, I was like, cool, I don't have to worry about the other ones that were this area. And uh, it was funny that you mentioned that as soon as like you release something, someone finds that one thing that you didn't think would happen. Uh, someone on JP on like 4chan at the time had um, gone, oh, by the game, by the way, your game has been out for four hours and I already went ahead. I decided to just kind of break through the walls and then just go into the abyss over here. And he showed a gif of it and it was just him running straight through dungeon walls and just kind of like hacking. (laughs) He wasn't even like doing anything. It was just like some stupid glitch. And he found he somehow walked in from like one dungeon hallway straight into the text document of the stupid one thing I didn't like translate in the game because it doesn't show up in the game. And I'm like, who the hell are you? This is, how dare you do this to me? So it never shows up in the game. Otherwise you just have to be a freaking Houdini and then you find it. And that was this guy. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, for me, it was a lot more than one little thing that was, uh, <laughs> needed tweaking. So, so was that something you just like immediately, you know, fixed in the game and then it, it was fine. Yeah, something like that. Um, for That was in Wolf Editor, so that's kind of like an RPG Maker thing. Once you have the tool and can rip the files, you can do that literally on the fly. So that was like a 30-second fix. Oh, but cool. for something like Dreamcast, it's like, if I have to make a change to something, like 
There are certain diary pages and certain splash pages that are made to match other menus in, say, the Pathet and Decoder room. When you're in those rooms, some of the menus are actually JPEGs, but they're actually 35-part tiles. So if I have to fix a typo in something like that, or we have to adjust the font in something like that to match, it's literally just a jigsaw of like 45 other pieces. And if there's 50 diary entries and you have to typeset something differently, that's 50 sets of 35 tiles. And that was the concept art. It wasn't just one image. It was tile them together, edit it, rip it, and then reinsert the 35, sometimes like 50-something odd pieces. And that's the entire concept art gallery. That's Strain Up's diary. Those are any of the maps. It, it, it's very cute the way that Napletail's artsiness kind of made it very tricky to work with. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Geez. So did you ever have to change like your, your writing, um, like the actual writing to make, you know, something fit or like you said, with like with the tiles. Napletail has been really nice and that, that really wasn't a thing. And I always kind of like assume that Esper does like some base functions when he's ripping text because like, very, very, very rarely do I actually run into hard text limits the way that other projects sound like they do. So even like Linda, you know, he can adjust like fonts and stuff like that. And he goes through a lot of like work and stuff to get that going. So it's really fun to kind of see the beginning, middle and end processes of that. Napletail, I didn't really have that issue with. There was just a lot of different formats for the text to go in. So whether it was like images or subtitles that... I had to kind of be more responsible when writing because when all hands are on deck, if I'm constantly making people change things, I was like being a super villain, you know? Yeah. So, but for another game that we're working on, Addie's Present, the subtitles for that are extremely quick and you don't really have a lot of time to get the message across. Unfortunately, there's a lot of wordplay in that game as well. And so, but that one's all subtitles. And so you really do just kind of have to be on your feet. And so I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to rewrite that one two or three times because it's all cinematically timed. So it's like you can't make the sub sit there for an extra two seconds to get the point across or fit on the screen or something like that. Because, you know, the human eye has, you know, 18 characters that they can reasonably read in this amount of time. And so... Hmm. That game is going to be very cute, but Napletail was very, very nice to us. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, so speaking of kind of, you know, things you had to, you know, change in the game, um, like one thing I noticed at the beginning of the game with the, the signposts over the, like the four seasons in the town are in English. Is that something that was already there or was that something that you, that you guys had to change graphically? That was actually already in English. Um a lot of text was already in English to begin with. There are certain signs that they have conversations about, and so those ones would have one or two characters in Japanese, but um, because characters will interpret things kind of differently. But no, honestly, it's kind of inspired by English text. It's meant to take place in like a relatively English setting. So like, there is a lot of things like that that we didn't have to touch in the textures at all. But what we did have to touch, Rolly was like super duper helpful with. Mr. Nobody was super duper helpful with. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so, yeah, I guess, is there anything else from the, the programming side, you know, that you guys wanted to, to, to highlight about your process or about how the Dreamcast works or anything like that before I kind of go more into like the, the translation? Um, <laughs> I'm not sure, honestly. I mean, you know, as far as the programming side... I mean, like I said, most games generally work all in the same way. Some systems are different, but, you know, like I said, the big thing is he's hoping hoping that you have tooling to do the, like, debugging and everything so you can actually look at, you know, how the code's going behind the scenes and everything. So that's always really helpful, but... Okay. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm lost, actually. I, I think don't know. the only <laughs> thing that I can kind of think of was something that Raleigh had done. Um, he had actually archived a lot of old Dreamcast websites that you could only access through the Dreampass. Oh. And he had actually happened to have Napletales all backed up. And he's like, oh, by the way, I happen to have Napletales website backed up if you would like <laughs> to look at that. And I'm like, shut the hell up. Yeah. So he sent that to me and he had tweaked it in the game to be accessible through the emulator as well. Wow. So I don't know how that kind of thing works. Yeah. That was like, I'm not allowed to have internet, you know? So it wasn't really something I was familiar with back in your day. So... 
But <laughs> it was really fun being able to see that because I didn't have access to that. I didn't actually know the website had existed at that point. So Rolly was just like very quietly puts it on the table. And I was like, whoa, because it happens to have a message from the author. It happens to have story points that aren't specified until certain segments of like replaying the game that you kind of just have to infer. So it was really, really cool. And so we managed to put the lyrics and the subtitles up on there. I put a backup of Strain Up's Diary as well, just to kind of keep those things easier to get for people, even if you're not going to play or reach that part of the game, if you're just curious to read it. And just so I can kind of peek back in at it sometimes without booting up the emulator, you know? Man, that's amazing. Like, you know, we we talk a lot about, um, you know, digital preservation now. And, you know, cartridge versus, you know, uh, you know, I don't emulator. I, I don't really know a lot about emulators, honestly. But, uh, you know, I read some of these debates about, you know, how to preserve, you know, th- these games and the technology. And I never would even considered all the websites devoted to like these late 90s, you know, early 2000s games and how much of the content was only available like through like the Dreamcast browser, like, you know, going right to the website or something. So, yeah, talk about digital preservation. Like that's really that's amazing and that's incredibly forward thinking. That's awesome he's doing that. Yeah, I have to like go and browse around his website more, but I know that he's done it with he's just really big and dedicated to the Dreamcast community. So if you're exploring Sega and stuff like that, I'm sure that you could probably dedicate a whole episode like with just him and get a lot of really cool insight because he has a really cool network of people that he works with as well. Wow. Well that's a great idea. I would love to talk to him. What's Let's, Let's get him. We'll that tag him. This. We'll tag him. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. That, thank you. That's a great idea. I, yeah. That's that's incredible. That's awesome. So yeah. So uh, I, you know, always glad to hear you know to talk about like the programming and you know the challenges and things like that. But you know, kind of my main interest, you know, in why I started this podcast and because it's just more of what I know and I, I'm really interested in the debates about it is like translation versus localization. And um, starting, like, you know, being being able to play about, um, you know, hour, hour and a half of Nebletail, um, like one character at the beginning, you know, you're kind of in like a circus and he speaks uh, in rhyme. And I was really wondering, like, to start us off the general conversation, like, so maybe this can be like kind of like a microcosm, like what was his uh, speech pattern like in Japanese and how did you guys figure out how to translate that and make it um, have the same feel uh, in English. When um, Ayan Nihan had overlooked the text, she had kind of pointed out that, yeah, he speaks in a stanza because he's really kind of, he was one of the more difficult characters to translate and kind of see what he was getting at with things because he doesn't speak in an A-A-B-B-A-B-A-B rhyme scheme that I put him in. But he does speak in a certain kind of pantometer. But we couldn't really, like, identify it. And we couldn't really identify what character from Lewis Carroll works he would have been based on. So, because there's a lot of, hmm, personally, there's a lot of interpretation on what his role and inspirations in the story are from. Because a lot of the characters you can actually kind of trace back to a Mother Goose poem, or you can trace back to Lewis Carroll poems as a source of inspiration, and what might have inspired that character's either appearance or thought process. But um, for him... It was really, really not sure. And I had a hard time kind of finding what to write him based like. Because um, like Lewis Carroll poems, every character has a very specific speech pattern. And that's kind of Lewis Carroll's point. It's kind of one of the things that he's known for on top of just writing poems into his narratives. Like just the dialects and colorful language. Typically, I find that stuff really painful to have to write just because it's a lot of remembering and consistency. But the game kind of demanded it. And so it's like, okay, I would actually be literally wrong if I had ignored it. So I kind of had to get kind of colorful with the language and stuff. And that's why characters have certain, like, catchphrases. Characters have certain, you know, they have their own little patterns. And I'll try and make as many, like, nods back to the original material when I can't make those as possible. No, otherwise, that was kind of the trickier part was, and it's one of the reasons it took so many drafts was to carry over the fact that no two characters speak alike in this game, 
which makes going through the text really fun on the Japanese standpoint because you know exactly who's talking at the time when you're reading it. So that was kind of fun. But no, like Piero's dialogue, as long as the point got across, the words themselves were largely made up. Really? Yeah. And like, I kind of feel bad saying that, but um, like, it's not like I'm making it up like, oh, cool. This is, but like bear no significance. He doesn't say that necessarily, you know, he'll say something a little more blunt. It's just, it was a little tricky to translate, but oh, what am I trying to say here? Mm. Yeah, no, it's definitely not a literal translation, but it's a it's a situation where a little translation would have been wrong for what was going on with the text. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That that's super awesome, and it sounds like um, a much bigger task to write for this game than um, like a lot of the patches. And probably, yeah. I mean, definitely, probably everyone that I've talked to has mostly been on like some of the more mainstream RPG series, um, like uh, Lunar and um, Fantasy Star, and um, yeah, nothing like this is really in any of those games. I mean, this is like deep uh, literary references. And um, yeah, sounds like a, like a lot of learning that you had to do to go through this. So how, how many drafts do you think you had to go through and how long did it take you to go from like maybe your first draft to something that you feel is, you know, file enough to now we're, you know, let's let's release this as the text that we have now. Um, I'd have to think back on my first draft that I sent to A.A. Nihan because like I mentioned, she spent about a year and a half. She works on other projects as well, and she's way more of an accomplished translator as well on top of just being accomplished within the scene way more than I am, you know, and I had mentioned before the interview that I had heard her in a podcast as well. And she had a really cool interview and was talking about the way that she had used language and stuff to help emphasize and challenge the script. And, uh, for Napletail, it was kind of not necessarily challenging the script. It was really just trying to catch up with how smart the game is itself. Um, hmm. in multiple playthroughs, Honestly, like I hope it's a game that people go back to and play again sometimes because it's honestly some of the smartest world building. So if you beat the game and get a chance to read the author's message on the website and read the diary entries and stuff in full, like honestly, it's one of those. It's probably the smartest game I've ever played, which, yeah, you're looking at a girl who gets killed by an ice cream ghost, but it <laughs> takes a lot of it's honestly the game that kind of like. It's a really thoughtful exercise on mindfulness. So it really is like one of the few games or pieces of media that's changed the way that I thought over the years. And uh, it kind of changed the way that even I had looked at the game without like trying to inject my own ideas into it. Because it's a game where you really can't, because there's not a lot of room for your own interpretation, because it's so tied to text and tied to research. Um I couldn't really interject too much like made up nonsense into it. And I only really could do that when I felt it was affecting gameplay if I didn't. So like the Paffet names, there are the little like Pokemon that you can make, right? They're like mm -hmm. pieces of furniture and they are little monsters that you go with you on adventures, but they're all based on Japanese puns, right? Like there's a carpet named like Fuma Fuma, which is just like the puffy feeling of a carpet, right? And um, so you go, wow, I really need like a doormat for my house. And a stray apple go, oh my gosh, we should totally make Fuma Fuma then. Isn't that obvious? And you as like the English player, you go, no. So I have to remember what I had named him as like a carpet, you know, but um, so, you know, it's like a little bit of intuition, but if you can't really infer or like get intuitive in a scene like that, the scene doesn't really make sense anymore. And you go, what the heck are you talking about, strain up? What do you mean I'm going to make, you know, Japanese pun monster? Like, <laughs> and it's kind of the thing like with Pokemon. Like when you're playing mm -hmm. a game and then you see a Pokemon named like, uh, oh no, I forgot what Pokemon names are. But, you know, like you, you kind of get an idea of what it is, what its element is, you know, or like oh, Hitmonlee. Yeah. Okay. Like, you, you know what hits things, you know what punches things. You can kind of infer what type it is just from reading the name so you have to be able to do that a little bit and um in Tale, and it's a game where like in moon i had played with a draft of the text 
And um, I did the same thing with the names of characters in Moon because you have to go out and just kind of randomly guess from your random bio what how you catch this monster. And some of the names are puns that hint towards that, you know, like 2 a.m. Oh, be here at 2 a.m. or something like that. So if you just go with the Japanese name of that, you actually lose a game play point that the Japanese fans got to play and see right away. You don't get that hint anymore. So when it came to Nappletail, one story thing that I changed later is one character is afflicted during the game and their way of speech changes. But it's really just a more emphasized version of the speech that they had in town earlier on in the game. And if I didn't change it to something pretty differently, I would have to be kind of making up their relationship with characters and how they view the different characters. Like it's really, really tricky to say without getting into the actual specifics of it, you know, because if you're only a couple hours in, I want you to get to that point. You'll know him right away when you see it, (laughs) but the characters identify right away that the way he speaks is different. And I'm like, Mm. well, I don't really know how to write this kind of dialect or this kind of accent doubly hard. So I went in a different direction with it, but in a way that's still supported by other parts of the text and other parts of like Strainup's character, because he's a very interpretive character and he could read into different languages and stuff. And that's something he enjoys doing. And that's his role at that point of the story. As you've probably seen already, he's the interpreter more or less. And um, so as long as that kind of supports his character and it supports Porches and it's not making up the relationship with this third character, it felt more accurate to the scene. And it's something that the player can notice along with Porch and Strain Up. I like, I really wish I could be specific about it because <laughs> I know this is probably like, what is she talking about? <laughs> but um, when it affects the gameplay or when it affects the world building and starts kind of denouncing things that are already established, that's when I'm going to start changing things, you know? Mm. So Yeah, wow. And so, like, to run it back, did you also work on Moon? Um, there was a fan translation Steve Martin or Alkong Gingu and Esper Knight were working on for a very long time. And um, I guess Alkong Gingu or Steve Martin, he needed someone to help kind of consolidate and like proofread the script a little bit. And uh, he gave me permission to do that. So I went ahead and I tweaked some of the animal names and some of the animal bios and stuff like that. So, but just because to kind of keep it at the same gameplay intuitive, like the fact that you can infer what to do next without making the game easier, but also not making it harder than it was intended to be. So, yeah. So is it, uh, is this, this moon, uh, fan translation, this is unrelated to the switch version that recently came out. We were like 95% done, and then they announced it. It was really funny. Wow, really? So are you guys going to release your version of the PlayStation version? No, immediately. Not yet. <laughs> oh, oops. I'm sorry, Esper. I'm sorry. Oh, what were well, you saying? Oh, no. Oh, I was going to say the same thing you were. Sorry, I'm you know I'm horrible about that, too. I was going to say, no, and for us, we decided not to because... I, I would feel just wrong doing that. I mean, you know, because I, I know a lot of people, you know, asked us like, Hey, we, you should release this, you know, cause it's on, it's not on the switch on the PlayStation, but I just don't feel comfortable doing that. Neither did uh, Steve Martin, the translator. Yeah. We just, and even, you know, cargo that I know agrees with us too about this. It just doesn't feel right. You know, because I mean, moon is one of those things. Like when I saw the announcement, I was like, what? I'm like, no, no, no. Like that. It was just, insane i'm like holy yeah, like who could know, predict so, uh, something like that like wanted... oh this wouldn't it come out like 97 98 yeah i mean it's like and, you know it was like one of those games that like barely anybody knows you know it's like unless you really dig into the playstation library i mean you've probably never heard of it so it's just like yeah. wow but yeah i just i would never anytime that's ever happened and funny thing is, I have actually had many projects canceled because they got official releases, but mostly for wow. visual novels, but not for, you know, like, not, this is like a one in, like, this crazy, you know, I've never seen it happen, but, 
It's like, oh, I can finally play this in English, but I spent I wasted, a, you know, like all this time, like making this fan project, and now yeah. I can't even release it. That's, That's like so sad. I mean, you know, you never know. Give it a couple of years, maybe we will. Um, but I definitely don't want to cannibalize the sales of Switch. And I know some people would argue that, hey, you know what? I'm not going to get a Switch anyway, so they're not going to get a sale from me regardless. But you know, to me, it just doesn't feel right. I can't do it. I, I, you know, it just doesn't feel right to me. Yeah, and that's. Like, I was just thinking, like, if they've been trying to get this game out for 20 years, like, it's really funny to go and pull the rug from under them and just kind of, like, release this fan translation anyway. But I only had, like, a week's investment into the script when I had overlooked things. Like, Esper and Steve Martin had years on this, you know? Years. So, like, I think it's, you know, respectable. And they want the game just as much as anybody else, you know? So. Wow. So, yeah, this is another podcast episode. (laughs) Right here. So, yeah, so this is Found in Translation, talking about uh, cool fan translation projects and classic gaming, um, generally Sega-related, if we can. And, um, yeah, hope you enjoyed it. Listen to the other ones. We'll see you next time. Take care. Have a good night. Bye-bye.